the escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Then the return to Nazareth. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah, Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Thanks so much, Marg. Uh, great to see you all. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, we've got some clipboards for uh, kids uh, with some activities on them. I think we don't have many pencils, though, but there are a few uh, that Jane's uh, handing out. So grab one of those uh, if you'd like one for your kids. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry sort of it's a strange day today, isn't it? It's sort of in between um, the real Boxing Day and then the Boxing Day that Aussies give themselves um, tomorrow because we can't miss out on a uh, public holiday. Um, but uh, it's the last Sunday of the year, and what a year it's been, right? Uh, the Oxford Dictionary picks, up, picks a word of the year every year. Uh, but this year, it's been such a bizarre year that they couldn't just pick one word. Uh, so they picked a whole range. So um, it's, it shows something of how different this year has been, unprecedented even. Um, so here are their top words. Okay, top words of 2020. Bushfire. Remember that? Oh, yeah, that was this year. Bushfire, coronavirus, lockdown, social distancing, Black Lives Matter, cancel culture, super spreader. The top words of 2020. Uh, the, that's the Oxford guys in England. The Australian National Dictionary had a different take. Uh, their word of the year was ISO, which I think is just so Australian. So uh, we're, uh, we've, we've been iso-baking, which has meant that we've put on a few iso-kilos and ended up with an iso-belly. <laughs> uh, well, we've had to get used to a lot this year, haven't we? Um, toilet paper shortages, copious amounts of hand sanitizer, QR codes, elbow bumps, face masks. What a year. But as that Oxford list shows, uh, it's not just sort of quirky inconveniences that have shaped our year, is it? 
in, in the background to all of that have been a set of very real and at times quite overwhelming tragedies this year that have kind of overshadowed the year for us. Uh, and I reckon that many of us, as we get to the end of this year, are probably just feeling pretty tired uh, after the year that's been. Maybe a little lonely or anxious or depressed uh, after a year of loss and uncertainty and change on a whole range of different levels. Uh, perhaps some of us are bearing the scars from the ways in which we've been treated by others this year. Uh, perhaps some of us are feeling a burden of guilt for the ways in which we've acted and spoken. Not just the darkness out there, but the darkness in here. Well, what do we make of all this at Christmas time? Christmas is a time, uh, isn't Christmas a time to kind of just put a smile on and forget about all of that for one weekend? <laughs> um, well, friends, what this passage today that we're reflecting on opens up for us and what I want to encourage us with this morning is that the message of Christmas offers us something actually much better than that. It doesn't just paper over the very real darkness of our worlds. Uh, it doesn't just kind of paper over even, just, even the darkness in our own hearts. It does something that's much better than that. Christmas doesn't ignore the darkness. Jesus doesn't ignore the darkness. He comes into it. <laughs> he comes into it, and he doesn't just come into it to share in it. He comes into it as a light, as the great light, the great light of the world. Well, it is one part of the Christmas story that kind of unveils the darkness of our world. It's this one that we've been, uh, uh, we're looking at today and that was read for us. Uh, it's not a, a part of the Christmas story that gets talked about much. It doesn't make it into many nativity plays um, or many Christmas carols, for that matter. Uh, we've already been introduced to Herod on Friday. If you're here with us on Christmas morning, uh, we saw Herod, uh, this paranoid and pretty ruthless king. Uh, and uh, he heard from the Magi, these wise men from the, uh, from the Orient land, uh, he heard from the Magi that this new king has been born. And Herod's first thought, remember what his first thought is, is not to come and adore him, but to come and abhor him. <laughs> uh, that was the song that he was singing, oh, come let us abhor him. He hated the thought of this new king on the throne. Uh, and his first thought is to get rid of him, to, to murder him. So he, he tries to trick the Magi into telling him where this boy is, uh, but at the end of that reading we looked at on Friday in verse 12, the Magi are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, uh, not to tell him where Jesus is. So they go home by a different route. And that's where this account picks up uh, in the second half of chapter 2 of Matthew. Um, so uh, maybe if you've got your Bibles, you can see it there. On your, uh, will be, it'll be up on the screen too as we, as we work through. But that's where the account, this account picks up. Uh, God warns the Magi. Uh, but he also warns Joseph in verse 13. And it must have been a pretty urgent warning because Joseph and Mary pick up their baby, uh, pack up their stuff, and they flee in the middle of the night to a different country. They become refugees going to Egypt. This is a, um, a stunning painting, I think. Uh, it should be on the screen there if you go to that slide. It picks up something of the, um, the kind of exhaustion, weariness, and... Um, 
urgency of this flight in the middle of the night just to get out of there. And what, what Matthew does here is he's not just, he's not actually just telling us that this is, it's a gripping story in its own right, but what Matthew is doing here is something actually very significant and important for us to hear. He's not just telling a story of this family's escape into Egypt. He, he's using this to show us something really important. Uh, did, you, did you notice three times through this reading, he looks back to the Old Testament, uh, the part of the Bible written before Jesus. And each time he shows how what's happening here in this terrifying and tragic event, what's happening here, this dark episode, that, uh, this, this thing that would have seemed so out of control to the people going through it. I mean, imagine yourself in that situation. It would have seemed completely out of control. What Matthew wants to show us is that through all of that, God's great plan is still being worked out. And he wants to show us that God's great plan all centers on Jesus. Uh, so there's, there's this great line in, you know the carol, O Holy Nights? Um, beautiful carol. There's this great line in it that says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The weary world, <laughs> a world weighed down by sin and sadness and death. That's the world that's on full view in this passage, in this part of Matthew's gospel. Uh, but Matthew wants us, through that, through that weariness, through that darkness, he wants us to see and experience a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. That's the thrill of hope that Jesus brings into this dark world. So, the first quote comes from verse 15. Uh, if you have your uh, Bibles in front of you, you can look at it. It should be on the screen too. Uh, Matthew tells how Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they run to Egypt uh, and then they, they're there until Herod dies. And when Herod dies, they return. Uh, and then Matthew writes this in verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So he's quoting from an Old Testament book called the book of Hosea. Uh, and Hosea is talking about a really important event in Israel's history. Uh, the event of the, um, the Exodus uh, maybe you know the story. The Exodus stands out as this huge event in Israel's past. Uh, God calls Moses to be Israel's leader, to lead them out of slavery in Egypt uh, into freedom in the promised land. And so Hosea pictures, he talks about this, uh, this event, and he pictures God as this loving, devoted father, saving, rescuing his son out of Egypt. And Matthew here is saying that that is fulfilled in what's happening here uh, with Jesus. But it's, it's a really strange thing. Uh, um, it's, a, it's a kind of strange thing that Matthew does. We often, when, I mean, when you hear um, something being fulfilled, uh, we often think it's uh, in the Bible, it's about something that's been predicted, right? So there's this thing that was predicted back then that is coming true now. Um, the really interesting thing about this verse in Hosea, though, is that it's just it's not a prediction. It's not a promise at all. Uh, it's, it's Hosea looking back at what happened in the Exodus. 
and, and talking about that. Um, but, so, so there's something kind of, you think, what's going on there? How does Jesus fulfill this? It's, but actually what Matthew's doing is really profound. See, the, the conviction of the apostles uh, was not just that Jesus fulfilled individual kind of scattered um, predictions through the Old Testament. Uh, the conviction of the apostles was that Jesus fulfilled the entire Old Testament, the whole story of Israel, God's unfolding plan to bless the world through Abraham's family. And what Matthew's saying here is not so much that Jesus fulfills a specific prediction, but that he fulfills, it's more like he's fulfilling a pattern, a pattern. And it's really interesting. Uh, As you read through these chapters in Matthew's Gospel, we'll see this come up a number of more times. You read through these chapters, all through these chapters, we're being shown again and again that Jesus goes through what Israel went through. Uh, He comes up out of Egypt, he passes through the waters, he's tested in the wilderness. And Matthew's doing that to show us something really important. Uh, Matthew's showing us that Jesus is a new Israel, a true Israel. He's the one who will get things right in the way that uh, uh, that Israel never got it right. And that's really wonderful news for the world. Uh, Here is the one who would finally fulfill Israel's calling to bring God's blessing to the whole world. Uh, But what Matthew's focusing in on here, what he's showing us, is that in Jesus, a new exodus is happening. The ultimate and true exodus. A new freedom from slavery. But it's not slavery to a political oppressor like the Israelites were in Egypt. Uh, This is something much bigger. Jesus is going to bring about a freedom from our deepest slavery. We already, we've already seen this talked about in chapter 1 of Matthew uh, when Jesus is named and he's called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He'll save his people from their sin. And if we hear that rightly, we should hear that with a deeper sense of relief and longing than the Israelites felt coming out of Egypt. Uh, Sin enslaves us. It enslaves us more terribly than any tyrant ever could. It keeps us captive in our own selfish pride. It cuts us off from the source of life, from God himself. It binds us to death. And Jesus' great work is to destroy that tyrant to liberate captives from sin, to liberate us from the fear of death, to set us free. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's the first reason that Matthew wants to highlight here, why we can have a thrill of hope even in this weary world. Jesus brings about the ultimate eternal exodus. Freedom for anyone from their greatest slavery. That's good news. Uh, uh, Matthew keeps going on. There's a second quote that he talks about. And here's where things get really dark 
in this account in Matthew's Gospel. Herod's furious when he finds out the Magi have outwitted him. Uh, He's paranoid about this newborn king and he goes on this ruthless rampage. He orders the murder of every boy under two in and around Bethlehem. Um, I looked for some artworks to depict this, but then I thought it's probably not appropriate <laughs> uh, because it's a, I mean, it's a brutal, gruesome scene. Uh, he, Herod's not taking any chances. It's a horrible, violent, terrifying episode in the Christmas story. And what Matthew does is he ties what's happening there in with another horrible, violent, terrifying episode in Israel's history. Uh, This time he quotes from the prophet Jeremiah, who's talking about a time about a thousand years after the Exodus, when the people of Israel were taken into exile by another cruel, ruthless tyrant, the king of Babylon. So Babylon's armies attack Jerusalem, uh, they destroy the city, they drag the people off into exile, and Jeremiah records the voice of the mothers weeping for their lost children. And he uses this figure of Rachel in verse 18. Maybe you picked that up. Uh, Rachel uh, was one of the founding mothers of of Israel right back at the beginning. Uh, It's a poetic image of, uh, it's it's this poetic image of Rachel weeping inconsolably even from the grave over her descendants and what they were going through. And Matthew says again that, uh, that, he again says what's happening with this terrifying episode at Herod and the, and the babies fulfills that. And again, it's a weird kind of thing. <laughs> How does it fulfill that? It's not a, again, it's not a prediction. What's going on? Well, the, the quote that Matthew pulls out for us comes from a chapter in Jeremiah, chapter 31. It's a really important chapter. It's a chapter where Jeremiah goes on to talk about a new covenant between God and his people, a new relationship based on solemn promises. Uh, Jeremiah comforts the people going through this exile, these weeping women. And he says to them, God hasn't forgotten you. Your pain is real and bitter, but there is a sure hope too. And what Matthew's doing by taking us back to this passage in Jeremiah, he's telling us that even through this horrific event, In Bethlehem, even through all of that, there is hope. There is life in the midst of death. See, Jesus, this new king, he would be the one to bring about that that new covenant, that new relationship between God and humanity, God and his people, Uh, this new relationship. Then that is real and deep consolation for weeping people. Uh, that the pain of this world, the wickedness of tyrants, even unspeakable tragedy, doesn't throw God off of his throne. He is still working his good and life-giving purposes out. And ultimately that's fulfilled at the cross. Uh, The moment that the Son of God is handed over to be tortured and murdered by tyrants. That is the great outworking of this, the great beginning of this new relationship with God that he offers all people, that he offers to you. Okay, how are we going? There's a lot in here. Uh, There's a lot in here for an almost Boxing Day 
uh, sermon uh, after our bellies are full. But there's one more thing to look at. So we'll keep pressing on. And there's one last quote at the end of the passage. Although maybe you notice it's not actually a quote uh, that Matthew ends with. Uh, so, Herod dies, and Joseph and his family return to Israel. There's a bit of a map on the screen. Not sure if you can make it out. Um, yeah, they go to Egypt. Uh, Herod dies. They go back. Uh, uh, they think to go back to where they came, they came from, around Bethlehem, but they're warned uh, that Herod's son is still around, kicking around, and it's probably not a great idea to go back near they, where they were. So they end up going back up to Nazareth in the north. So... Uh, in the north of Israel, uh, which is, we find out in Luke's Gospel, that's actually where Mary and Joseph were originally from before they came down to Bethlehem. Um, and so Matthew says that all of that, all, all of what's happening there, them go, landing, ending up in Nazareth, uh, he says that all of that also was to fulfill what was said through the prophets. Uh, at the end there, he, sh- he will be called a, a Nazarene. The strange thing is you can't find that anywhere in the Old Testament. Um, it doesn't mention Nazareth. There's no sort of quote from the Old Testament about he will be called a Nazarene. So what's going on here? Is this just a bit of a fudge from Matthew? Well, notice what Matthew says. The other two quotes he's used, he talks about a prophet. Here he says, through the prophets, plural. So he's not, just, he's not quoting one prophet. Uh, what he's doing is he's giving us a general impression from the prophets, um, from what the prophets said. But what's the deal with Nazareth? Um, you find out in the four Gospels, in, in, through the Gospels, that Nazareth has a pretty bad rep. Uh, so in John's Gospel, you might hear this, there's a guy called Nathaniel, and he hears about Jesus, and he scoffs, what does he say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Nazareth has a bit of a... Maybe you can think of places like that. Um, I don't want to risk offending anyone with my ignorance and prejudice about Adelaide suburbs, so I'll talk about New South Wales, where I grew up. Uh, Country New South Wales, I can imagine it'd be something like one of the backwater towns near where I lived. Can anything good come from Wallabadar? Or Corindai? Or Gunnedah? Uh, (laughs) Sorry, oh, have I offended... Mm. Uh, so, uh, uh, N- Nazarenes were generally a despised bunch. And here's the thing. Jesus is one of them. So if you're from Gunnada, that's good. <laughs> uh, Jesus is one of them. Uh, what's all this got to do with the prophets? Uh, the idea that the Messiah would be despised is all over the prophets, it's through the Psalms. Perhaps the best known place is in a place called Isaiah 53, where it talks about how the Messiah would, would be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, held in low esteem. And it seems to be that that's what Matthew's getting at here. Uh, here is God's great eternal king come to set people free, and he grows up in, in Wallabadar. He grows up in Nazareth. That's kind of the impact we're supposed to feel. It's so unexpected. God didn't come to earth and hang out with the powerful elites. He came to the lowest. He came to a world that he knew 
would despise and reject him. That's what the prophets had always said. And again, that is incredible news. You see, Jesus hasn't come for good people, for impressive people. (laughs) The reality is that before God, none of us are good or impressive. Jesus came for his enemies, those who would despise him and reject him. Those who have lived in rebellion against him. He's come to bring about the ultimate exodus, freeing them from their bondage. He's come to give them a new heart, a new eternal relationship with God that can carry them through their weeping and their tears. In other words, he has come to save. He has come to save, and he has come to save you, whoever you are and wherever you're from. Well, there's a lot, as I said, there's a lot packed into this short passage. It goes right to the depths of human darkness, but it shows us that all through it, God's sovereign plan to bless his world through his Messiah is being worked out. And nothing can stop it. Jesus is a light that can't be put out. I want to just finish um, by reading out a poem that I read this week by the author Madeleine Langle. I I, I, I'm mangling her last name, I know. Chris, how do you pronounce her last name? Uh, you don't know? Yeah. I, you're my French... Any French words, I go to you. Madeleine, uh, Madeleine Langle. Anyway, it's a wonderful poem. Uh, she... Uh, she writes about, and it, and it ties, in, ties up a lot of the themes um, that are in this passage. It's a wonderful poem that talks about the first coming of Jesus. I'll just read it out uh, as I finish. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time, He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with sinners in all their grime, turned water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt, to a world like ours of anguished shame. He came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh, to heal its tangles, Shielded scorn in the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. So we cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. Rejoice, rejoice. Let me pray as we we finish. Thank you, our God, that uh, the news of Christmas isn't a news that means we just need to kind of paper over the darkness of our worlds. Thank you that Jesus means we can face that darkness um, truthfully. And we can face it not in despair. We can face it because we know that you have worked out your good and perfect purpose in Christ. Uh, We know, Lord, that we have a new exodus, a new liberation, a freedom from sin and death. We know we have a new covenant, a new relationship with you through Christ. 
And Lord, we know that your light has shone in the darkness and we have a new hope and that all people, no matter where we're from, can enter into this light and life. And so we thank you for that and we pray that this Christmas that light will shine in us and through us. And we pray that for this coming year as well, whatever darkness or it may bring, uh, that this light would be at, the heart, at our hearts and that it would shine out through us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.